Welcome to Telling the Tale. I'm your host, Mitchell Farley-Wolf, and I'm here, as always, with Dustin Jackson. Hi, Dustin. Manatees Nuts. Manatees Nuts at the good old-fashioned Telling the Tale podcast, the podcast where we're going to go through and play and report back to you, the listener, on every single episode that Telltale Games put out in their tenure. This week, we'll be covering Tales of Monkey Island, Episode 3, Layer of the Leviathan, released on September 29th, 2009, directed by Joe Pinney with co-direction from Jake Rodkin, written by Sean Vanneman, and it was designed by just about everyone whose name we've ever said on the podcast. Wow. I looked in the credits and it was like Sean Vanneman, Jake Rodkin, Joe Pinney, Brennan Q. Ferguson, Dave Grossman, Will Armstrong. The list went on. Mike Stemmel was there. There, Just every heavy hitter is involved on the design of this episode. That's a long-ass list. Mitch, let's get right into it. How did you feel about this episode overall? Um, I thought that what it did with its confines was interesting. Uh, yeah. The physical space in which you traverse this episode, especially compared to last episode where you got to go all over the entire Gulf of Melange, uh, is, it, it's the reverse here. You're in a very confined space. You're inside one manatee. Uh, for most of it and then later on you get like two rooms where you're on a ship above water or you could go underwater and both are pretty small and there's there's not much exploration space which has some negative effects i think on the episode it makes it feel like everything's just very um forward you know you don't get the adventure feel of an adventure game in this episode so much because you don't get to stay in a place and explore it and really like learn more about it here it's much more about just the story talking of characters um using a very short list of tools uh and that makes a lot of sense considering that this episode jake rodkin and sean vanneman these are the uh the walking dead guys wow so taking a, a a formula that was like very adventure mechanic heavy and adventure feel heavy and turning it into a very character dialogue story driven small amount of physical tools to solve a, a few number of puzzles uh that feels like their style as well because that that kind of leads into the feeling of the walking dead i would say on the whole I'm conflicted on this episode because I think that as a as an adventure game, as a Telltale episode, getting through it had less interesting puzzles and things of that nature, certainly less interesting set pieces than episode one for sure. Um, but the conversations that were ha- uh, being had and the character moments I thought were probably the coolest in the series up to this point. Yeah, um, so I remember not caring for this episode the first time I played it. I remember thinking, oh, this is kind of the lull in the season. You've but said play- that about every episode of this thing so far, but you love this thing. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember the next two being good? Is that, like, where's yeah. the cutoff? Yeah, I remember the next two being, like, in, in, uh, super good. Well, okay, I'll, I'll hold you to it. But, but yeah, I... Uh, I very much enjoyed this one more than the first two. And I think it's because of those uh, strengths you mentioned. I, I feel like 
I didn't really feel that. I mean, I did feel it. I get what you're saying with it feeling, uh, you know, you only have a couple locations in this. I agree the adventure part isn't really there. But I don't think it's as big a deal when, last, like you said, last episode we were going all over the place. I think it's fine uh, for this to be uh, the bottle episode, as it's called. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, the first thing that came to mind when playing this episode is I feel like the episodic format at least for me, really works for Monkey Island. Because I went in, into this episode and I think, oh yeah, this is the episode where they're stuck in the manatee. Uh, it's ve- It makes it very memorable to me. It makes... I remember what happens in each individual episode. I guess a l- I don't want to say more than the original Monkey Island games, but it, it's definitely a different feel. Because in the Monkey mean- Island games... Uh, go do ahead. you mean the, the chapters of each Monkey Island game, or, or what do you mean by that? Yeah, because even in the original Monkey Island games, uh, even when you go to another chapter, usually they're pretty open-ended. Like, not, not always, but I recently replayed the first two, as I've said, and it felt like mm-hmm. for the whole game, you can uh, go back to any location at any time you want. Yeah. And that's, well, I I guess not really in the first one, because you are stuck on, like, Monkey Island when you get there. But definitely in 2, you have a lot of going around to every island. And here, it's more, okay, this episode is going to focus on this specific location, this specific part of the story. And I really like that. I think it helps moments like this uh, stick out in my memory more. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe originally the first Monkey Island game was multi-disc. Um, and that kind of structure was very purposeful because they couldn't fit the entire game on the disc. Yeah. So having like clear jumping off points of like all of that was one thing, all of this next bit's an- another thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, was probably pretty important to do. But now it's stylistic and now it's uh, related to the the sale of the game. I kind of, I agree that it's working. I agree that each of these episodes has a very unique feel from each other. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if I agree that altogether, this couldn't have been one longer, much bigger Monkey Island game. And I think I might have been into that. Uh, um, maybe. Yeah, because the, there is a there is a thing when your Telltale games. And you're this far into your career, everything you've ever done, barring just a couple weird things that even still apply themselves, is episodic. Everything. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the Bone games aren't marketed that way, but they are. Those are episodes. Yeah. Um, and Nelson Tethers is the same way. Like, that's that's an episode. So... To imagine them doing something, like, bigger, like, I don't even really know what that would look like. When they came back from the dead, they're still just making episodes. Um, Right. They have two very different games coming up, and and each of them, despite um, being different kinds of adventure games from each other, The Expanse and Wolf Among Us 2 are still five episodes each, and that's just, they have to be. And Mm. uh, having played Thimbleweed Park, 
which is a much larger adventure game, uh, from Ron Gilbert especially, makes me think, like, man, Tales could have really been a sizable, like, genre-defining game. It would have been the biggest game in the genre and the most important one people talk about for a long time if it wasn't divided up into episodes. Because I think the episodic structure is kind of a you're in or you're out on it gatekeeping mechanism for this game. Mm, uh, interesting. Because if, if someone just said, hey, you should try Tales of Monkey Island, and you'd be like, what is it? And you'd say, it's a Wii game. It's You just go to the store and buy a, buy a Wii game, like every other Wii game. Uh, I think it would have really taken off. I think it would have been pretty big. Um, because you, you, you don't need to qualify it. You can just say, hey, there's this whole genre of games out there, the adventure game, that maybe you've played it. You probably played some aspect of it, especially if you were a gamer in the 90s. Um, and it is niche, but there is this one game, and it's like, it's the quintessential version of the game, of the genre. Um you, you could try it right now. It's a big, thrilling ride, and maybe you bounce off it, and maybe you don't. Uh, but with the episodic structure, it leaves... It, 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 I mean, this is not unique to this particular game. It has, it has detriment, right? People can bounce off very easily after one or two episodes because they forget to catch up with it. I did that with a lot of Telltale games. Mm-hmm. Um, you can... Not a lot. I've done it with a couple. Um, although I'm not thinking i can't think of which one i did which one did i do that for there's one that i did that for. i don't know that's I a good question in the podcast it's some lore for the podcast oh i don't listen to that show um i i played nelson tethers one and not two there's one what did i do this for um was it one oh, of oh these? i didn't finish back to the future i started it and then i couldn't oh finish. okay because i just like lost interest at a certain way through the the series that i i can understand that <laughs> well yeah but that that's kind of how i felt but we had to press on for the podcast so i i get you i yeah i mean we we had our reservations about that one but uh e- even with that being said i think that i would have finished it in this mindset that i have today where I wouldn't have at the time just because there was a lot of stuff coming out. There were a lot of other Telltale games coming out. Mm-hmm. A lot of these games sort of overlapped and were replaced by the next big thing immediately. It felt a lot like uh, modern day... I guess the MCU is probably a good comparison of just what it felt like living with Telltale releasing all kinds of games all the time at the time. Yeah. Um. At the time, at the time. I did say that twice. I think that <laughs> grammatically is what I meant to say, but it didn't feel good. It it, <laughs> it didn't feel right coming up. It didn't up. feel right, yeah. Um, um, no, I I get where you're coming from, but I'm kind of seeing it from uh, the opposite case could be a way to do it, too. Uh, because an episodic game, even if you bounce off of it, requires a lot less commitment to give it a try. Like yeah. if 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 it's a full game, that is that's I feel like that's a bigger commitment, and I feel like you could just as easily fall off of a full game as you could an adventure game. I like, would be willing to bet that more people started Monkey Island than maybe any or Tales. I mean, than maybe mm-hmm. any other Monkey Island game. 
but fewer people finished it than any of the like first three. Maybe. I mean, it, it's it's hard to say since uh, point and click adventure games are pretty niche to begin with. Sure. <laughs> it, it, it's kind of a hard thing to measure. Yeah. Yeah. I could. It, it, I guess I could see it go either way. Point and click adventure games are one of those things that. Um, just right now does feel like the time for them. And I can't tell if that's just because we're deluding ourselves by playing a thousand <laughs> of them at once. I mean, that's how I've always felt about adventure games. I love them. Obviously, it's the best time to play them. <laughs> and then people don't. No, but I, I think it really does have something going on right now where uh, the, the Telltale formula is coming back for Wolf Among Us and Expanse and Tales from the Borderlands. And there's renewed interest in Sam and Max. There seems to be like a mm-hmm. hype on Sam and Max right now. Uh, possibly because of the virtual reality game. But I think fewer people are playing that than anything. I, I think there's just groundswell for this style of game. That Telltale itself might have been a little too early to capitalize on the full nostalgia of. Right. Uh, because now with Return to Monkey Island, people are talking about it in a way that places it as one of the, like, oh, this is one of the mainstay retro game series. And, like, nah, man, it never was. Not really. It it hasn't been... It's been celebrated by critics, but only because of that celebration by critics snowballing into an actual awareness in the mainstream does it feel like it is now. Uh, and yeah. when Returns comes out, it will... We were talking about how Tales of Monkey Island was, at the time, Telltale's best-selling game. Return will be the best-selling Monkey Island game. It won't even be close. Um, <laughs> and it won't even be hard. It, it'll just happen. Partially because <laughs> it'll be the first thing that has an uncompromised, uncomplicated release on all consoles at the same time that's going to help out. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I just think it's time for that in, in a way where in 2009, I don't, I don't remember if it had as... I don't remember if it had exited nichedom like it has now yeah um i mean it still is niche compared to like cod or a nintendo thing or something but it's, right it's not small people know what it is people know a monkey island people know what monkey island do <laughs> um yeah one other thing i'll say is I feel like another reason I like this episodic format for Tales of Monkey Island, I I don't want to necessarily sound like uh, this is what the Monkey Island series should be, but I like that it does give Tales its own uh, flavor compared to the other games. That's true. Uh, So I don't know if I would have changed this from into one big game. Uh, It does make it seem more unique, but it's Monkey Island is one of the things where it's like, it only comes out once per decade. Yeah. So, well, that's do that's I also need not for this one fault. to feel more unique, or do I want this to be like the best one it could be? I don't know. I, you're right; it's not Tales' fault. And it, yeah. this is if you give something to Telltale, they will make episodes. It's not like they they were disappointed it could have been <laughs> a bigger game. Like it was always going to be episodes. Yeah, like I I like that we're getting Telltale's Monkey Island rather than just another Monkey Island game. Yeah, I I guess this is coming out as an opinion. We really haven't... We've spent a lot of episodes on this company. (laughs) And we have not talked about the fact that, like... Yeah, why don't they just make games? 
Why don't they just make big games that are like game sized instead of making these episodes? Yeah. Um Partially maybe... it was it was because of the origin with Freelance Police, right? That was gonna right. be episodic and then Sam and Max was episodic and then that just kind of trickled down through everything else they did. Yeah, maybe it's just how they wanted to do it. Yeah. Uh, well, they were they were constantly putting out articles and press releases and interviews saying like, yeah, we believe strongly in the episodic formula. You remember these whenever yeah. this would happen? We believe mm-hmm. strongly in the episodic formula. And we think once the, the greater industry catches on, we won't even be unique. Um, and then they went out of business. <laughs> <laughs> then they, they crash hard. So uh, maybe that isn't right. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe yeah, there maybe isn't a place for episodic like <laughs> video games. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, Bet on the yeah. wrong horse. I mean, they did all right for a little while. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I like them. I, I like the episodic format, but it is interesting that even now, with the revived Telltale games, uh, with, like, Wolf Among Us, and it, The Expanse is also going to be episodic, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that they're sticking to that. I I am kind of glad they are, but it is kind of uh, not what I would have expected. Because when Wolf Among Us 2 was first announced, I didn't think it was going to be episodic. I, j- I just thought it was going to be one f- big full game. Uh, I guess I don't know why I thought that, but that is what my assumption I mean, assumption it makes sense was. to think that because you think, okay, well, Telltale went out of business. They should stop doing things that way. <laughs> Um, But it seems that they don't view the episodic structure as the main um, cause of its downfall. And to be honest, I don't either. I don't I don't think that it was so critical to sales. In -hmm. fact, later on, especially when things had been more um, like the console landscape had grown more and more accustomed to like digital smaller indie games. I think at that point the episodic structure of a telltale game made a lot more sense and people were more accustomed to saying oh i spend i can spend 10 bucks on a game today and it lasts three hours and i'm done i actually like that a lot whereas Mm -hmm. in the past if you're buying a new video game it should it should give you some like a run for your money it should really last you and uh yeah maybe that's just the, the the perspective i'm coming from because I think it really is Thimbleweed Park. Uh, having played Thimbleweed Park, it's so it's so much bigger than a single episode of anything Telltale's done, and mm-hmm. not in a way that's bigger like scope, just bigger of like, oh, that felt really special. And sometimes entire seasons of a Telltale game, especially like um, Devil's Playhouse or either of the Walking Dead seasons we've played so far, would feel that special summed up. But I don't think that any particular episode of them and we are talking about just individual episodes every time we get on one of these calls to record the podcast they don't measure up to the specialness that i think some video games in this genre have achieved on their own i i guess i can see that since you're only getting so much per episode yeah like in monkey island one there's a a short like intermediate moment that's um it's it's not very long but it's like when you've assembled your crew and you're on your way to monkey island 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then your crew just sort of don't listen to you and they're all taking a break and <laughs> uh, it, it's a puzzle to get onto the island because none of them want to work for you anymore. Right. That moment is is like a an interesting down period between all the melee island stuff and the monkey island stuff that uh, narratively serves the purpose of kind of transitioning the player from one modality of what they're working on to another. And okay. in Tales of Monkey Island, each episode kind of has that every now and again. Um, they, they can sometimes have little brief moments in the middle. But this episode actually feels like that of the season for the entire episode. It's like, this is the, the down moment, like, oh, we're just going to hang out in a manatee for a bit, okay? <laughs> uh, of the tales of Monkey Island story, the larger mm-hmm. story, which is about the pox, and about LeChuck, and about your hand, and about Elaine, and yes, about Morgan LeFlay, who has a huge portion of this episode dedicated to her, but also just mostly about this idea of Los Sponge Grande and the pox. Right. And this is like, hey, we're in the middle of all that. We're just going to take a breather in a nar- uh, not a narwhal, a manatee. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's that. That's uh, true. We are I, inside I, of the manatee. And I think it can be a good breather, but like for that to be the entirety of what the game is, uh, I think hurts it a little bit. Because when you have an episode, episodic structure like telltale's games do um you're forced to simultaneously view the entire series as the game and also each episode as a game so the episode that i played today was a game that felt a lot more timid to do things than the game the larger game that it's from um i guess i don't know i feel like this episode still had like plenty interesting in it Interesting for sure. Yeah, I think so. Uh, it, it, it could take a lot of... Uh, it, it, it was a good lore episode, I think. Yeah. You found Dacava. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, yeah, you could go for it. Oh, I was just going to say, I feel like... Uh, I, I think, was it last episode you were saying that you felt like um, the puzzles in it didn't really bring anything new to the table? You felt like you had seen all this before. I felt like there were a few puzzles here that were at least a little uh, different. Like, I love the pirate face-off, which is kind of its own take on, like, insult sword fighting. You still have yeah. to learn, like, different things. But I thought it was... Um, honestly, I like it better than the way they do it in, like, any other Monkey Island game besides the first one. Because, like, in Curse, they have uh, insult sword fighting, but you have to rhyme. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fine, but it's not really that big a departure. I felt like this one was a much fresher way to do it with the learning all the different faces and having to do different ones. Yeah, it, it is a different style of it, but it kind of just comes down to like collecting the faces. What you do for listeners who have not played this game is you need to challenge every pirate to like a face off and they make a weird funny face and Mm -hmm. uh guybrush just remembers those facial features and then when you go to a face off competition 
you have more options uh, and you just need you don't need to respond in any particular way other than not repeating yourself or your opponent yeah uh, i mean that's still something you still gotta uh fig- it's it's not the hardest puzzle in the world yeah. but i, I you know what it's a little weaker than the insult sword fighting itself because you don't actually have to respond to the thing you don't need to think about like okay what's the counter to that you just sort of do a new thing and it works I get that, but I also kind of like it more than insult sword fighting because, boy, it is a slog to get all of the responses for it. That's true. The the process of getting the faces in this episode is just good old fashioned adventure game puzzles. Um, yeah. So plus, it's you, still you, know. you still got some funny results. The faces they make, like a uh, oh, what is it? I forget. I think one of them's called like the Gomer. Mm-hmm. And That's a good one. <laughs> uh, and my favorite part is. After uh, Moose says the face you make, uh, you make some sort of noise. Like Guybrush, for the Gomer, Guybrush will go like, and then (laughs) the subtitle says Gomer noise. That's good. That's pretty good. (laughs) I don't know what a Gomer is, but I guess that's the noise it makes. (laughs) Uh, Gomer, I hardly knew her. Wow. Uh, (laughs) So there's a couple interesting characters in this uh, this episode, and I, I want to talk in particular about uh, Morgan Lefay and her okay. her um, her use here as a viable romantic option for Guybrush, right? And Decava Coronado, Coronado Decava, one of the there two. we go. <laughs> Coronado, <laughs> the, it's, same thing. It, it could go either way. Um, so Coronado de Cava was spoken about as early as episode one. It's, uh, he's the person that the voodoo lady has told Guybrush to find because he's been looking for La Esponja Grande. And sure enough, you do find him. He has been partially swallowed by the manatee. So you just immediately run into him. Um, what do you think of Coronado de Cava? I like him. I like that he kind of comes across as like an alternate universe Guybrush, pretty much. Like from yeah. the moment you talk to him, he's basically the exact same vibe. Yeah, I could believe this is like Guybrush's dad. Um, oh, yeah. It, he looks not completely unlike Guybrush, uh, but he, he gives some backstory on himself about how he does all these adventure game things. He does the puzzles and the quests and the the finding objects and hoarding them. Uh, he's polished and carved his toenails into a lockpicking kit. Um, <laughs> which is interesting because later in the episode, Guybrush has the option to say, and I can hold my breath for 10 minutes and I have surprisingly powerful toe strength. So they're, I love- they're both doing toe things. That's one of my favorite lines. I'll just because of the way he says it. Like Morgan's really se- trying to sell. Oh yeah, Guybrush can hold his breath for ten minutes, and Guybrush is like, and and I have surprisingly good toe strength. Uh, it's like, well, we only need one of those. Yeah, and and uh, Coronado de Cava thinks that Guybrush at first is a rival for the Voodoo Lady's heart uh, mm-hmm. because. Coronado is uh, in in love with the voodoo lady and you have this locket of them and it doesn't sound good, I guess, 
but he's obviously insane as well because yet well the voodoo lady also mentions that uh Dekava has always been a little uh sensitive about uh stuff like this a little easy to set off i guess mm-hmm. um yeah but he's just he, he's i think the years of being inside a manatee are starting to really Take catch up toll. to him yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, he, he's talking about like, well, I bet she sends you on quests and stuff, huh? And then Guybrush is like, yeah, she does send me on quests. <laughs> I, I have it written down. He says, no, I mean, from time to time, she tells me what to do and where to go with little or no context. But the cop goes, <laughs> that sounds like a quest. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Dekava is a lot like Guybrush. And I wonder if showing him sort of all alone inside the mouth of a manatee trying to just get lost Sponja Grande, but like after years of it not working out, doing some stupid skin a bug to try to make a inner ear thing that'll help the manatee <laughs> um, go where it's trying to go. It, it's like criticism of Guybrush almost saying like, if you were a little bit more yourself, you'd be this. <laughs> Whoops. What a yeah. cautionary tale. Yeah, uh, I, I think that might be his role. Uh, and Morgan Lafley is a very interesting role in Guybrush's life right now. They they patch up pretty quickly. Um, she was, you know, trying to kill him and stuff. But now she, uh, she f- fills the role of his pretend wife, which you do need to convince her to do. But... It's like surprisingly easy to convince her to do it, uh, and, I, and I think that's kind of just because she is really into that idea. Yeah, she's like fine, cool. Uh, because you need to convince Coronado de Cava that you're not into the Voodoo Lady; you're into Morgan. Hmm. That's yeah. that's kind of a weird puzzle when you say it out loud, like a weird uh, circumstance. But I guess it uh, it suits all of their characters. I will say. What I hate is that you have Elaine's wedding ring in your inventory. And you can... What I tried to do is I tried to take the wedding ring out, show it to Dukava, like, look at this. (laughs) Don't you see (laughs) that I have a wedding ring? I'm married. Because if you say, I'm married to him, he's like, I don't believe you. Where's your ring? And then Guybrush has a ring. But, like... I guess the designers didn't think about that one, even with all those cooks in the kitchen, <laughs> Telltale. Boy, I hope somebody got fired for that blunder. Seriously. Wow, a <laughs> Simpsons Telltale game. Ooh, and now that would be interesting. That would be... You could play as, as Mr. Homer himself? I don't think it'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just trying to think it through. Um, it would have been... It would have been one. I'll say this. I don't think The Simpsons would lend itself very well to it, but I do think Futurama would. You've brought up Futurama before as an option, and I fully feel it. I I, I yeah. get that a lot. I can imagine them framing it around some sort of delivery mission that they have to do. And yeah, and along the way, they go planet hopping and all kinds of mischief. That'd be perfect. Me, me and uh, roommates have been watching Futurama lately, so I've just kind of got it on the brain. Yeah, I I made a top ten list um, outside of the podcast because I am sometimes 
outside of the podcast. I made Sometime. a top 10 list of other games I would like Telltale to try if, you know, they were in a position to just try a bunch of licenses. Ooh, do you want to go through them right now? I did not make a list. No, I, I think that... I think that it would be too distracting from the point of this episode, which is to talk okay. about, you know, the game. Uh, but maybe sometime. Maybe I'll bring that out sometime. I know we've talked about Ooh. a few. I, I, we've talked about um, my, my Pokemon Ranger idea, I think we've talked mm-hmm. about on the show. Um, Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo is just such an obvious one, right? Yeah. And you can imagine that you play as, like, all five of the different kids in different episodes maybe or like you go back and forth like walls and grommet that's an interest yeah i feel like the easy way to do it would just be sticking with shaggy and scooby in exactly that but one one idea one idea that i had for this like telltale structure that might be a good one for scooby-doo is every episode rather than being sequels to the previous and progressing the storyline forward what if every episode was the same events but from a different person's perspective in every new episodes that you play like gave you more insight into what was happening there like maybe the first time the events happen it's a complete mystery of as to like what the other things going on are are doing and and, like why anything is happening the way it is Um, Mm -hmm. but more the more episodes you play the more you can put it all together and, and piece together what's happening so so you're saying you play as like a different member of the gang in each episode and see what yeah from there that'd be an interesting way that kind of reminds me of sonic adventure i've always loved uh that yeah yeah, adventure it's like sonic adventure but it's a telltale series and every episode is you get (laughs) first like like they all go this whole scooby-doo gang goes into a haunted mansion and then fred says well let's split up split up five ways i'm gonna go here in the kitchen and then that episode is you're playing as Fred in the kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) And he finds nothing. Better luck next month. (laughs) Now that you say it out loud, I don't know if it would work as good as probably more than just the kitchen. (laughs) Maybe, maybe you need to split up across an entire town because yeah, you're right. I don't think it makes sense (laughs) for one house in one night to be five episodes. That I feel like that could work. Like the gang is uh, investigating a mystery, and then something happens that splits all of them up across uh, the ta- the village. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Straight I mean, to the top. That's kind of a little bit what um, Bone the Great Cow Race is, um, but it's just oh, yeah. isolated into that one episode. It's also what Thimbleweed Park is for a good part of it. You need to play Thimbleweed Park, Dustin. I'm running I will, out of time. I'm running out of time. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 before you know it, you'll be gone. I'll be a casket, and you'll be like, wow, I should have played Thimbleweed Park way faster. <laughs> it's got really dark. I'll be a casket? Wow. <laughs> I'll be a whole casket. I you will bury be me the in casket. the ground like any other casket. <laughs> I'm sorry I asked. I, I guess I'll have to get on it. Um, so Monkey Island, Monkey Island, more like frankly crying. Uh, Coronado de Cava's whole crew is just downstairs in the manatee. You know how there's a like stairs in a manatee? <laughs> yeah, well, guess what? There's some here too. There's some here too. 
and Coronado thinks they're dead because he just hasn't explored very much. Yeah, he decided, I'm just going to stay up here. Yeah, uh, but the crew are not dead, except for one of them, who is dead. Uh, <laughs> but they're all just hanging out, and they love it here, and they've stolen the cochlea from the manatees. I keep wanting to say whale for, you know, size reasons, but the manatee's inner ear is missing its cochlea, so <laughs> it can't echolocate. You can't, it can't find out where it's going. And the crew loves this because they're just drinking its stomach acid, and that's it. <laughs> they're like, this is great. We can that's drink stomach acid, play the bongos. Yeah, play the... Like, you don't think you can play bongos outside? What are you talking you can, about? Yeah, you can just do this up there if you want. I, I do kind of like the vibe they got going on, though. It's not bad. Yeah. I mean, it's for for a day. <laughs> for, like, a day. <laughs> I don't know. They seem to like it for more than a day. The main guy is just, like, using a weird little flesh nub as a boxing bag practice. <laughs> like a punching bag. And uh, that's his whole life. He just that's wakes true. up and is like, I'm going to punch some flesh. And then he does. And then he goes back to sleep? That's every day? <laughs> They've been there for years. <laughs> They're men of simple pleasures. Um... I like this crew a lot. They all have uh, fun personalities. They do. Uh, I, I we, we can come back to them, but in order to just get through the story, I will say that you need to join their group in order for them to let you have the cochlea and trust you with it, um, but then you're going to betray them by putting the cochlea in the inner ear. And once you do that, the manatee will go where it's going. And... You reunite with the sun. That's not what I wanted to say. But you can go... You're you're, uh, you're expelled from the manatees behind by a laxative that you happen to have. And uh, Coronado ties up his crew for being mutinous. And you're trying to find a way to talk to manatees. Because there's a big manatee down below who's guarding la esponja grande and once you uh can talk to her and like potentially tell her to move she will that old cliche that old cliche but you can't talk to her what you have to do is get you okay you get moose who's one of the the crew members you get his big straw which is actually a speaking trumpet for speaking with manatees and also you Use some voodoo to, like, temporarily possess the voodoo lady back on Flotsam Island. And use that to do some voodoo on the Marquis Lassange to learn how to speak manatee. It's a it's a number <laughs> of logical chasms to jump, but eventually you do. What do you think about all that, like, the second half of the episode? Less than a half, more like a third probably, right? I think it's great. I, uh, boy, despite being in such a limited um, amount of locations, I feel like this episode is just way more creative in what you're trying to do. Yeah, I really like the uh, this this part onward 
we're doing some voodoo. We're, uh, you know, possessing people. We're meeting up with the Marquis Lassange again. We're seeing a very small portion, but a portion again of Flotsam Island. All the stuff that uh, I would want to see in a game like this is happening, which I think holds this episode up and makes it not just feel like the manatee trip from earlier. Mm-hmm. Like when I was saying this feels like a down swell in the middle of a monkey island game that is like one single game this part is not included this part is more interesting than that and i'm glad that this episode has this part uh because otherwise i think that it would feel quite fillery quite bodily. i i i do agree if like i i like the parts inside the manatee i like the parts outside of the manatee but i feel like if it were only the parts in the manatee it would be a lackluster episode but it's not i i feel like uh there's a lot that I like about both parts. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's interesting that uh, the lull in the story, as you put it, uh, inside the manatee, is immediately followed up with Guybrush more or less accomplishing what he set out to do and find La Esponja Grande. Yeah, and I really like, uh, once you can't learn how to speak manatee, you can tell the big manatee that you came here in to court the much 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 even bigger much larger female manatee guarding la sponja grande and you can get them to go on a date and that's a really fun thing i like the way yeah. that you do that because she keeps negging him and guy rush sort of insult sword fights i'm glad that this part is here too because i like this more than i like the faces uh she's like um what's something she said i didn't write any of these down but she she keeps trying to insult him and then guybrush has like a little zinger and it makes the manatee seem like a big jokester yeah it it, you really appeal to her she likes uh, a manatee with a good sense of humor yeah and and one who is not afraid of her massive size you know you know what something i really like about this puzzle is you have the part where you have to figure out the exact right thing to say, but without any of the slogginess of having to earn the yeah. responses. Yeah, and you're given a lot of red red herring answers, a lot of answers that just wouldn't be good for anything. And yeah, so you still it, have to figure it out. Yeah, that makes it better for it to feel like a puzzle and you're actually, you know, trying to solve something. I like this maybe more than any version of insult sword fighting. Yeah, like, I know insult sword fighting is a classic thing people love, but having just played through it and watched uh, one of my friends play through Monkey Island 1, boy, you're just really, it, that it's, part it's of a grind. comes to a crawl. Yeah, I think that it's so much more interesting in terms of narrativity than RPG grinding, especially the RPG grinding of, like, the late 80s leading up to the release of this game, or, or mm-hmm. uh, Secret of Monkey Island 1 that it was very positively received because like wow grinding can be it can have jokes in it and it can be unique every time yeah um, but it, yeah now we've sort of seen other approaches to z- design and it just kind of feels like grinding still yeah and I'm, i mean the jokes are still good but you're especially when it doesn't always work like sometimes you'll run into a pirate and you're like okay so i still need some insults let's cross our fingers and hope this guy gives me what I need. When I was watching my friend play through it, he ran into like four pirates in a row that just gave him nothing. 
<laughs> and boy, I, I could tell he was getting frustrated. And I was like, I'm sorry. Just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Anyway. No. <laughs> um, you you get the big manatee out of the way. And then you find a sponge grande, which is not big. It's in, in fact, you might say it's the opposite of very big. Yeah, about if it's in the palm of your hand. <laughs> it, I mean, it makes sense. It's a sponge. But it's not grande. No. Uh, no. I guess what it does is the grande. It, it, it oh, is a big it, deal. It does big. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so as soon as Guybrush holds it, he's ridden, his, he's ridden of his pox, which is nice. Uh, because he's yeah. been mean this episode sometimes. Yeah, something you notice throughout the episode is it looks like the pox is finally catching up to Guybrush. It, it seemed like when his hand was cut off, it kind of slowed it down more than other people. But here you can see the the green kind of rising up on him. So you take the sponge, you go back to the ship. Dakava has made up with his crew and now they're firing cannonballs at you. You send one back his way and then you send some bait, which in the form of a seahorse head. That That's a whole thing. <laughs> Um, boy that took me by surprise yeah and then the seahorse head is bait for a giant manatee which then eats Takaba's ship so that's the episode oh and then Morgan Le knocks you out because she's bad yeah she's like sorry Guybrush nothing personal but I got a job to do (laughs) nothing personnel kid (laughs) um yeah so Morgan Le the whole episode she's been kind of like sending out messages of um, caring about Guybrush deeply. It's, and we already knew that. She was unabashedly a fan of Guybrush. Mm-hmm. Um, and, y- you know, there there is... I think there were a couple little exchanges in the first two episodes. Or, I guess, just the first... The second episode, right? Of yeah. Some, maybe her saying something like, Oh, it'd be cool if we could just go on a date or hang out or whatever. But, like, I gotta kill you. <laughs> um, and... In this episode, you you are spending it entirely with her as your pretend wife, and she leans in pretty hard. I think that's an interesting uh, movement for her character, where she uh, she's looking at the, the 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 crew down in the manatee stomach. And she's saying, like, yeah, I can uh, I can take that one, and Guybrush, you take the one behind the bongos, and then we'll both kill the third one. And Guybrush is like, whoa, I just talk to people and, like, give them items. I solve puzzles. <laughs> and That's she's, more my speed. She's so disappointed by this. Yeah, she thought Guybrush was this uh, ruthless swashbuckler. Uh, it turns out her view of Guybrush is, is being shaken. Yeah. Uh, and the first time you do the... Um, the face-off where you you fail it and you have to fail it once. She is like so astounded and heartbroken that you steal the the guy's face because that's the only options that you have at first. Mm. That she like doesn't even talk to you through the rest of it. Yeah, she dumps her picture, her signed picture of Guybrush. Yeah, and then you just have. She's that. like, I don't even want this anymore. And uh, and Guybrush is going through this thing where like he's clearly upset that he's disappointed her, while never having been interested in her in the first place, really, because he loves Elaine. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which again is a very different guy brush and a Elaine relationship than in the first two Monkey Island games. Right. Where Guybrush is kind of like, oh, I forgot you existed for a bit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I went to a different island and you weren't on it, so I reset. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot you were an existing person. Ah, uh, wife. Ugh. Yeah, uh, It. one thing that I think is very interesting is... Um, all throughout this episode, it's kind of pushing the idea of uh, uh, maybe Guybrush and Morgan. Uh, Morgan has some feelings. Uh, they got a lot in common. They're uh, they're pirates. She really uh, likes them. But not once does Guybrush feel uh, swayed like he's dedicated to Elaine the whole time. Yeah. Uh, even even when. I feel like this is the episode that really pushes the Guybrush and Morgan relationship the most. But it really is more just... I mean, Guybrush likes Morgan as a per. He likes that uh, she's a fan. Um, but it, it's interesting that they put her in the role of a fake wife. Uh, and to Guybrush, this is just a solution. This is just a solution to a problem. He's like, oh yeah, we can just easily fool this guy. But with Morgan, you kind of get the feeling like uh, she would be fine if this were just the way it is. Yeah, yeah. And uh, like when she's disappointed, I think that she's feeling that disappointed, uh, disappointment so much stronger because she's really putting herself into the position of, oh, I'm his wife and I'm disappointed. Rather than mm-hmm. just, yeah, as a fan who's like, I, I, he's different than I thought he would be. Yeah. Um, and later in the episode, once you uh, are talking to Morgan about the big manatee guarding La Sponja Grande, um, Morgan has a very not subtle <laughs> metaphor for like, well, maybe she just tries to kill everyone she meets because that's all they ever do. Like when you saw her, you ran away. Maybe if someone could just stick around and prove that they're not afraid of her and (laughs) try to you know work through those feelings with her she would really appreciate it and then guybrush is like yeah thanks i'll do that and then i'll save my wife elaine (laughs) who is not you (laughs) who isn't you at all (laughs) (laughs) yes guybrush very uh, oblivious to morgan's advances um I think it's for the bet. I I feel like if they had Guybrush kind of his loyalty waver a bit, I don't think I would like it as much. I like that despite all of this, like it, it Morgan seems like a perfect match for him, but no, he's uh he's one hundred percent into Elaine, and he will not be swayed. Yeah, I it, I, I feel wonder like if Morgan it, actually is a perfect match for him because I think Guybrush is a perfect match for Morgan. And Morgan even knew that before she met him, right? Mm-hmm. Because she just likes the things that he is, and that's why she's a fan. But I don't think a fan is ever, like, a good idea for a starting point of a relationship. That's true, yeah. It really puts some dominance on the other person. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that that would be weird. Like, from Guybrush's perspective, he he could never be corrected. He could never really do any wrong by her. Where with Elaine... It's probably played up for laughs a little too much to be healthy, but she's always <laughs> sort of, uh, y- you know, pushing him to be 
better, at least in the later Monkey Island games. Again, mm-hmm. in the first two games, very different relationship. I have a right. I'm very excited to see what Ron Gilbert thinks about Elaine and Guybrush now in the year 2022. I am too, because I, if I remember right, that's one of the things he was that was a sticking point. Yeah. Uh, so I don't, I don't know how he feels about it now. Uh, I love Guybrush and Elaine together. So even at the time, I was a little like, really, he 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 doesn't like that. Well, tss, maybe the creator doesn't always know best. But uh, <laughs> it, <laughs> it it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, with with the version of Elaine that appears in later monkey island games then yeah totally that's a great pairing i i love them together but with mm-hmm. the version of elaine in like monkey island 2 where <laughs> like he just sort of forgot about her and then she shows up and then she's mad at him and then she's like but i can't be too mad he's perfect like that's <laughs> that's a, a a silly character who is for silly yeah. and not actually for marrying uh so like his his version of the of Elaine is just not the same as the Elaine that appears in later stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, he, I know he's been talking recently about how that thing that he wrote in 2013 or whatever it was can't be taken too seriously anymore because he's developed very different feelings about Monkey Island's three, four, and five in the last yeah 10 Op- years. opinions change over time. Um. Yeah, but I think something like that feels like a very serious opinion to to have. Like, just being yeah. fully against them being married is a big difference to, like, yeah, well, you know, she kind of grew on me. That's not the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's This episode really doesn't have a whole lot of uh, Elaine and LeChuck. It really does keep the focus on Guybrush and Morgan, which I think is smart, but we do get one scene with them at least, but it's just saying, oh, they're still, they're still delivering those monkeys. (laughs) Yeah. The, like, seven more islands in one peninsula is what LeChuck says in order to drop (laughs) off all the different monkeys, which feels like such a Sea of Thieves quest. Like, ah, you gotta put all the monkeys in the monkey islands and uh, (laughs) then you'll be done. I'd be fine with that. Bring on the Monkey Island tall tale. Uh, literally a Monkey Island. <laughs> you don't think enough about how the Monkey Island is very rarely in Monkey Island. I was thinking about it a while ago, how like it's it's this massive thing. It's in the title of the game, and it really only shows up a few times. Yeah, I think Melee Island is so much more iconic iconic uh and the the starting screen of the first game secret of monkey island it shows secret of monkey island and then an island in the background it's not even monkey island that's melee island yeah and it's such a good shot too i love that it's it's what you see in the new trailer too you see that same shot of uh melee island yeah i love that anyway (laughs) that's i think this episode do we want to head into our segments um yeah we can do that dustin uh what you got for linguistic gymnastics well one thing we didn't even mention was that we reunite with murray the talking skull oh yeah murray um and he's just a barrel of fun like everything he says is a, a stitch it's interesting i feel like this has happened to me before on some other episodes 
I didn't really have a whole lot of specific lines I wrote down, but I did enjoy, like, almost every line. Like, I felt like every line here is funny, even if I didn't write it down. I, I felt like there's some good character interactions uh, just all around. But I, I do have some lines that I uh, picked out. What you got? Uh, uh, so at one point in this episode, uh, you put Murray's head on uh, San- Santino, who was one of the members of the crew. Uh, just the best of the best on this crew, but he's dead now. He's a skeleton. Uh, and you put Murray on. And... One of my favorite lines, it might just be the delivery. It's when you talk to Murray on Santino's body, Guybrush says, Hey there, Mur- uh, Santino. And Murray goes, Aloha. <laughs> um, let's see, what are some other ones? Oh, uh, when he's talking to Bug Eye. Or was it Bur- Was it him? Oh, I think it was. Uh, he's talking to Guybrush, and Guybrush says, you talking to me? And Bug Eye says, yes! And Guybrush goes, oh! <laughs> like, he's just, <laughs> he's just so taken aback. Um, you do one of yours. I'm looking through my notes. I just have the quotes all mixed in. Um, I, I think I only have a one or two. Um, okay. A- after the face-off where you beat Bug Eye, and, uh, Bug Eye says, well, I'll be. I've given I've given you all the faces I know, <laughs> and <laughs> just that idea is pretty good. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Murray commentates over the entire credits, talking directly about Telltale staff. Um, he's he I I don't have too many specific ones here, but he's talking about Dave Grossman, Brendan Q. Ferguson. He talks about his own voice actor, um, and then near the end he goes. Kevin Bruner, he's been around forever. Go away, old man. Uh, <laughs> Rude. And well, that line in particular, it, it it's a little heavier, knowing that in less than ten years after this game's release, um, Kevin Bruner will be considered the reason that the company went under, and people don't <laughs> typically like talking about or to him anymore. <laughs> yeah, Murray was right to say, "Go away, old man." Oof. Oof. Hey, yikes. Uh, yeah, he became... After Dan Connors, who was the head of the company at this time, Kevin Bruner became the head of the company, and uh, he was the person in charge of requesting, like, all of those post-season one Walking Dead, quick, let's grab a license, make a Walking Dead of it, and then that kind of turned into the sameness that killed the company. Right. Uh, yeah, he's he's credited with that. That that's so interesting because I do like that style of gameplay. Like, I I think it's really cool having uh, choices, but I do totally get the sameness complaints because yeah, with something like Monkey Island or even like Sam and Max: The Devil's Playhouse, I feel like even though those are point and click games, uh. They have something to them to help them stand out. Um, like uh, Devil's Toy Box has the the toys, of course. And it feels like they never really get into doing something like that after Walking Dead. They're just like, all right, take this IP and slap it on this formula. 
Yeah, no well, changes. It's clearly the wrong lesson to learn from Walking Dead success. Yeah. Um, because I think what some people saw was like, oh, people like the choices. They like this dialogue thing. Uh, so let's just do dialogue stories and let's do it in as many IPs as we can get. But the reason Walking Dead was good is clearly because of its intrinsic narrative value. It's mm-hmm. very well written. It has some extremely interesting approaches to design. Uh, season one more than season two. And I think you can kind of see in season two, like, well, it's a lot less about the design of the game and just more about the narrative. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and we've talked about how we got a lot out of the narrative of season two, but I, I still think that the design was um, less fulfilling than season one. And I expect it to kind of go in that direction from there. Yeah. Uh, so to, to look at, well, walking dead was a success. So let's do that with guardians of the galaxy and batman and minecraft just and game of thrones all of the popular things that there are let's just do it with all those things uh and it's obviously going to be a worse fit (laughs) once you stop actually thinking that the narrative setting that you're putting the game in is important right and and i like the formula i do like how these games play but they don't do anything to really differentiate them like that's just it. I I mean I I'm saying this now, but maybe they do. I haven't played all of these, but it really felt like they just eased their way into uh, what worked, and then didn't yeah. feel the need to move away from it at all. Well, when we were playing season one of The Walking Dead, and then we went to season one of The Wolf Among Us, those felt like yeah, it's the same style here but they're very individual with their tones and Mm -hmm. what the story is that they felt so different um just within that same style and i think that they're just hoping that the more they do the more it'll feel that way um but the more they do the more you realize oh it is all all the same even if the tone is very different uh because i played batman i played a couple uh, that's another one i did i played two episodes of batman um, and you, and you just just weren't interested enough to keep going. Uh, I I liked it. I remember liking it. I think I just bounced off for some reason. Um, I get that. I but, heard Batman is good. I'm really looking forward to getting to that one. It's good, but it is like the thing still. It's not. Different. Yeah, it's just you know what you're getting. Yeah. Um. So anyway, what are your other lines? Do you have other lines? <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Uh, yeah. One thing I like is, uh, so in the beginning, Santino and Moose are like two peas in a pod. They're best bros. And Moose is like, oh, I got to vote with my, my bro here on this. Uh, and then as the, once you replace Santino Santino's is a skeleton, head, by the way, he's dead and doesn't say yeah, anything. He's, yeah, he's a dead skeleton and cannot talk. Uh, but when you put Murray on him, now he can talk. Moose still thinks it's just Santino. Yeah. But one thing I like is, uh, especially when uh, they're tied up to the mast, uh, the bond is still there between Murray and Moose. Like, uh, Moose is saying, like, you'll never get me to talk. And Murray's like, yeah, we'll rot before we tell you anything. Like, (laughs) Murray just met this guy and now they're, they're also best friends. And uh, one line I like is, uh, 
Moose is like, uh, you'll have to torture me to get anything out of me. And Murray says, yeah, hurt them all you want. And then they just <laughs> both start going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> um, okay, one line that's not said, but I thought was very funny. Um, in this same part of the game, you can look through uh, Dakava's files on the whole crew. And it has little uh, things about all of them, like uh, worst fear. And for all of them, it uh, says what their underwear is. Uh, so, like, for Bug Eye, it's boxers. Uh, it's briefs for one of the others. But for Moose, uh, it says, it's all good, in quotes, and then a question mark after it in parentheses. <laughs> That's good. He doesn't know what it's all good means. Um... Okay, that's all of mine. Cool. Let's head into Potent Pickup. Mine is Murray. <laughs> Mine's also Murray. Uh, yeah, we talked about yeah, Murray. Yeah, it's, it's just great. But I did have a second one. Okay. I'll give this one the silver medal. It's the tarot cards at the end. Oh, those are fun, yeah. Yeah, I just thought this puzzle was a lot of fun. I thought it was a uh, creed. It wasn't, like, hard. It was pretty... It took, like, maybe... 10 seconds to think about like how it's supposed to work. But I do think it's a really fun puzzle that uh, you don't just do it once. You have to do it a few times and you have to figure out exactly uh, what you need to do. So at this part, Guybrush uses the locket to uh, possess the voodoo lady because he needs to learn how to speak manatee from the Marquis de Singe. Of course. Uh, Yeah, obviously that's what you're supposed to do. Um, and I like that you use... She can't move. She's, like, stuck in her uh, silly little voodoo chair. Um, so you have to use the voodoo cards to make things happen. You can make the Marquis de Singe come to you. Uh, and that doesn't work. He's like, no, you cannot have my book. I'll see you. Um, <laughs> Good. <laughs> so then you have to figure out, okay, so what do I do? She said... Well, Guybrush in her body said that uh, she will hex him. She'll put a curse on him. And so you have to rearrange the cards in a different way. Uh, to You can have Guybrush. Cur- the three slots are uh, actor, action, and victim. And so you can have Guybrush put a curse on DeSinge, which will give him a wedgie. And he's like, no, 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 that, that, that could not be. And then he comes running back. And uh, to give you the book because he's like, oh, maybe uh, this voodoo stuff is real. Hmm. Uh, and I just thought it was a fun way to do the to do this puzzle. It was a fun little thing. Yeah, I wasn't thinking about them as inventory items, but you're totally right. They are. Uh, yeah. And it, well, it's, a, it's a cool one. It's a cool thing. Yeah, I think you can only get them in your inventory if you do it in like a specific way. Because the thing is, you pick up a card and then it's just you picking it up and then you can just place it down. But if you pick on another card, it does put it in your inventory. Yeah. 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 But obviously it has to be Murray. Yeah, yeah, Murray takes the cake. He talks to you all the time in your inventory. It's good stuff. Yeah. Um, Who's your weekly guy? I gotta give it to Morgan. I think Morgan's... She's not, like, the funniest character in the world, but I do... I think she's very interesting. I like uh, her story a lot. Morgan was close for me, but I give it to uh, DeCava. 
Also, also very good. I feel like this episode is a very good week for characters. Yeah. I, f- I feel like last week it had like a couple, it had some good ones, but not like anything mind-blowing. Yeah. I, like, I kind of didn't care about those mermaids and I kind of didn't I, care I like about them. most of the helpers of um, McGillicuddy. Yeah. Like I, I like the mermaids enough. I like, but none of them are like super breakout characters. Yeah. Here. I feel like all of these characters are very memorable. Morgan has a lot going on. Dakava is a, a huge presence. And I like all of these crewmates. Murray, of course, we were just talking about, uh, all of these crewmates. I like a lot more than like any of the filler pirates from the first two episodes. They, uh, they all have very specific personalities. I do. Uh, I, I agree. And they're all unique models as well, which is yeah. not normal <laughs> in this game. You don't really get that very often. There was some money in this episode. Yeah. it. I was looking at an interview with, um, oh, I forget his name. I wish I wrote it down. But it was someone from Skunk Ape. And no, it wasn't an interview. It was a post on... Uh, Reset Era, I think, because they were posting on there. Someone was asking if a remake of uh, Tales of Monkey Island could be in the cards. And they said, uh, well, you know, never say never, but one, you know, the original Telltale, or the revival Telltale has the license, so we'd work something out with them first. But also, it would take a lot more work, because a lot of the pirates are just reused models, and there was a lot under the hood uh, to make it work, and it would just take a lot more work than the Sam and Max remasters. So it looks like it's not very likely, but I would still love it all the same. Yeah, I think at this point I would just hope they can do something new. If yeah, you know, they're, just they're, anything. Uh, they're holding so many former Telltale people at that mm-hmm. studio, and I'd like them to be able to do something. It seems like they want to move on from remakes after their third one, but. Um, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a cool company, and I, I hope they're able to do what they want, regardless of what it is. Yeah, you know what? Something else I'll say is, um, I feel like in the first two episodes, I was kind of feeling that a little more. I was like, uh, if they could just remake this, they could give these characters unique models, they could really uh, uh, freshen up the locations. But here... I feel like it's such a unique location and all the characters having their own models that I didn't really feel that. I just felt like this is a nice looking episode. Even though it's only in a couple locations, I feel like they got a lot out of them. Like, I think the inside of the manatee is uh, well decorated. Uh, It looks nice. You know what my favorite part was? And it's not even something that comes into the... Tell me your favorite part. Something it doesn't even come up in a puzzle at all, but the treasure you find in the in the manatee's stomach, oh yeah, just something about it really brings that area together. It helps break up the uh, the colors of it a lot. And you keep a crown too, it, yeah, it, that, it, which that's true. I think is never stated, but you just find it in your inventory later, and you're like, oh yeah, of course Guybrush took some. Why not? Yeah, it, it's in the treasure chest with um, the wrench that you find. And, but he's just like, eh, lots of 6,000 gold doubloons. 6,000 gold doubloons is an interesting number, too, because if you look at uh, Morgan's ledger from early earlier, you're, you're able to work out that she's about 6,000 doubloons in debt, and that's why she's trying to kill you. Mm, so I wonder if that'll you could have you could have really just given her the stuff and then you wouldn't <laughs> die you wouldn't yeah she didn't debt. even have to knock you out yeah she's just in debt she's just sort of uh she's got some student loans yeah understandable mm-hmm. 
Um, but you said Decava. Decava. Uh, Want to go into why? No. Okay, and, cool. Uh, my golden moment is the manatee date. <laughs> I like that a lot. That's a good one. You know what? I think it's mine too. I had the face off down because I did like it at the time, but I think you really convinced me. I feel like I don't want to convince you to like something less. That's no, 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 no. It's not that I, it's not that I, you didn't talk me into liking it less. You talked me into liking this manatee puzzle more. Okay. Okay. Is that, is that one okay with you, dad? Yeah, that one's fine. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Uh, Episode four of Tales of Monkey Island is called The Trial and Execution of Guybrush Threepwood, which is a great name. These are all great mm-hmm. names for episodes. Yeah. Agreed. A- every single one of them. Lair of the Leviathan. Uh, even the Siege of Spinner K. Yeah. Siege of Spinner K. Also, one last note. I feel like the more I see the uh, screaming narwhal, the more I love it. It just feels like such a good ship. Yeah. It, it, I... I really like how it's just cobbled together from a bunch of stuff. Even more so now, because it has the rubber tree for the mast. Yeah, it's a a weird, wonky, tonk, like, very humongous games era adventure game looking thing. Uh, Yeah. Just cobbled together from mass amounts of trash and stupid building block material. (laughs) It's good stuff. Yeah, I would I would love if this was just Guybrush's ship going forward. Um and we don't know if that'll be the case. I doubt it. Uh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I seriously doubt that. But hey, maybe. Well, Dustin, that's been our episode. It sure has, Mitch. I had a good time. What do we say? Do we say bye? This feels like a weird I... We just sort of ran into the end of the episode. We usually have a runway, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that's true no we set up what we're doing next time we're doing the trial and execution of Guybrush Fleetwood oh, and, okay uh, yeah you're right you're right we'll we'll see you there everybody goodbye I did your thing